Turn this morning to uh, the book of 3rd John, the book of 3rd John this morning. Uh, we finished 2nd John last week, and so we're, we're moving on to 3rd John this week. We praise God this morning uh, that the Bible does stand. Uh, it is uh, the very words of God in our King James Bible. We have a wonderfully accurate, a very accurate translation of the inspired, the God-given words uh, the words that God gave supernaturally and who has preserved supernaturally according to his various promises to do so, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I hope you understand that this morning. God has given these words to men. They are not words of men. I was reading this, uh, this week uh, a book. Uh, it was talking about uh, the Psalms and uh, the man was sort of pondering how long it must have taken David to perfect the Psalms as he wrote them. And I stopped and I sat back and I thought, boy, that's a surprising thing to read coming from this man. Uh, does he, has he forgotten? Has he forgotten that David received these words from the Spirit of God? <laughs> the Spirit of God gave these words. I doubt, uh, given the perfection uh, of the Spirit of God, that it took David very long at all. Uh, as the Lord moved, he captured down the words, and certainly that is the same uh, truth that applies to uh, John and the third epistle, the, uh, this third letter that we have from John. Now, uh, I want to just review for anyone maybe who has not been able to listen here over the past uh, several weeks. Uh, we saw in 2 John, uh, John wrote uh, regarding love and truth, uh, both were sort of co-themes in the book. One man said that whereas 2 John deals with standing in the truth, kind of knowing the truth and standing in it, uh, 3 John really deals with doing the truth or walking in the truth. I think that's a, a good way to kind of compare and, and contrast the two books. Um, the books are similar, similarly themed, but 3 John perhaps deals a little bit more with uh, doing, doing the truth that is revealed by God's words. Of course, you understand this morning that John the Apostle, the Apostle John, uh, is the human penman, the instrument of God that the Holy Spirit used uh, to capture down this, this letter. Uh, John, of course, is the penman of five books of the New Testament, and I think by now, again, if you've been listening, uh, recently, watching recently, you know that John uh, had the privilege to pen down the Gospel of John, one of the four Gospels, uh, John's Gospel being a little bit unique versus the, the first three, uh, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the shorter letters, uh, and then of course the final book of the Revelation, uh, <laughs> I got ahead of myself as I do, uh, the final book of Scripture, the book of Revelation, uh, which deals of course primarily with future things. Uh, the coming of the Lord at the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period, uh, the millennial reign of Christ to follow, the new heaven and the new earth to follow that, uh, the eschatology and much teaching uh, regarding that, uh, very much consistent with that which we see in the book of Matthew. Uh, we'll look at the book of Matthew, hopefully, uh, uh, prayerfully, uh, we'll begin teaching through the book of Matthew, preaching through that book uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, at Christmas time, and then we'll continue into the new year at 11 o'clock in the book of Matthew. Uh, that's our plan. Well, look with me here in, in verse 1. You see the, the, uh, it's a man to whom this letter is addressed. Uh, the elder, uh, John, 
uh, here, refers to himself as the elder. Uh, mature man, he's, he's certainly older at this point, but perhaps writing also as one who has literally pastored uh, a church. He calls himself the elder. He's writing unto a man who he calls the well-beloved, a man whom he loves greatly in the Lord. Uh, and that man's name is given, it's Gaius. Uh, it's Gaius. Uh, Gaius's name, well, it is a man's name, um, it means I am glad or something like that. You see uh, that kind of root of the word gay. We understand that, unfortunately, that word has been corrupted today, but uh, in, in times past referred to being gay in the sense of happy uh, or glad, and you see that here in kind of the root of this man's name, one who was uh, glad or happy. Perhaps he was a happy baby and his, his parents named him that. Uh, there's a number of men in the New Testament that are named Gaius. Uh, Paul uh, has a companion at Ephesus uh, who's named Gaius. That's in Acts 19. Uh, there's a Gaius of Derby, uh, one of the places where, where Paul ministered. That's Acts 20. Uh, there's a Gaius who's baptized in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or references made to that. Uh, and then fourthly and lastly, here in this book, we find uh, this man, uh, Gaius. What I'd like to do this morning, I want to handle this or approach the book a little bit differently than I normally do this morning. I want to read through the 14 verses. It's a short letter, of course. Uh, so we'll read through the verses. I'll try to limit my comments along the way. That's hard for me, Brother Ray, as you know, uh, but I'll try to limit my comments along the way. And then I want to look at the book, uh, just these 14 verses, um, rather than going verse by verse this morning. That is unusual for me. Rather than doing that, I want to kind of develop some themes, and we'll look at verses that relate to those themes uh, in this short book this morning. So... Uh, that'll be a little different this morning, but I think that'll, that'll be a help to us. So uh, I'm going to read the book, um, then I'll pray, and then we'll take a look at uh, some of these themes. Uh, here in uh, John 3, 3 John, I should say, 3 John, there's only one chapter, verse 1, um, the Bible says, John writes, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. He writes, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosperous, uh, prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth, the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And He's probably using children there in the sense of someone who he has led to the Lord or, or who had some part in leading uh, this man, perhaps this man and his family, to the Lord. Verse 5, John continues, he says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. It seems to be that there were some traveling missionaries uh, who visited the church that Gaius is a member of. And John has heard that those traveling missionaries were treated well. Uh, and so he's, he's encouraging uh, Gaius and, and his church uh, for having done that. He says in verse 6, which have borne uh, witness of thy charity, uh, their, their loving treatment before the church. Whom if thou bringest forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. 
John writes in verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So uh, right treatment of missionaries, traveling missionaries in view there over verses 5 uh, through 8. Verse 9, John continues, he says, I wrote unto the church, he seems to be referring here to Gaius's church, uh, but Diotrephes seems to be the pastor, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us, us not. Uh, John says, I, I wrote to the pastor of this church, uh, but he, he, he received us not. <laughs> Wherefore, verse 10, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Uh, therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Uh, Diotrephes seems to be a lost pastor. I think that's the idea here. At least he's not acting like a saved man. Uh, he's a man who refused to receive traveling missionaries. Uh, he's a man who spoke against John and company with malicious words. He was not content to do just that, but uh, refused to receive traveling missionaries, John included, which seemed to be the idea here. Not only that, he, he forbid those that would receive John, uh, and he threatened them that if he did, uh, if they did receive John or perhaps other traveling missionaries uh, into their homes, they would be cast out of that church. Again, Diotrephes does not sound like a, a saved pastor. He, he may very well be a lost pastor. Of course, that should never happen, but can happen. Verse 11, beloved, follow not, so here's a command, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. So walking in truth now, not just knowing it or kind of standing in it, but walking in it now. Follow that which is good. He that doeth good, there's doing again, he that doeth good is of God. Not You don't get salvation by doing good, but one who is saved will evidence their salvation by doing good. But he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Verse 12, there's another man mentioned, Demetrius. Demetrius uh, hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. So here's a man who's contrasted with Diotrephes. Demetrius, verse 12, hath good report of all men. Sounds like he'd be qualified to be the pastor, at least along those lines. And of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, uh, and ye know that our record is what? What does it say? True. Verse 13, John continues. He's He's concluding his message now, his letter. He says, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But, but what? But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. He writes, peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. I'm going to stop there and pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. This morning for this short letter, 14 verses, 294 words, um, Lord, it's, uh, it's short, but certainly not lacking in power or truth, certainly not lacking evidence of the Spirit of God uh, having moved John to pen down these thy words. Lord, there's much here to see. 
uh, and perhaps we'll only scratch the surface today, but Lord, I pray today that we will focus on those things that you desire us to see here today. Father, help us to capture down some important principles. Uh, Lord, not just to know them, but to walk in them, to do them, to be doers of thy words uh, today and every day. Lord, not for our honor, but for your honor and for your glory. Father, help me this morning. I certainly, <clears throat> I certainly need that. I pray for that this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help me to teach and preach today, uh, being led of your spirit with power from you, not from me. Lord, I love you. I thank you uh, for the privilege to teach thy words this morning and ask that you use me now. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can see here this morning, there's certainly some allusions to the same doctrines, the, some of the same principles that we saw uh, John write to that lady, whether it's a lady or a church, in, in 2 John. You see uh, a whole lot of love here, and, and you see a whole lot of allusions to truth, not just any truth, but the truth, Zachary. Uh, we see that this morning. Uh, you see two men here that John makes reference to. Of course, he's writing to Gaius. I'll say this this morning, and then we'll come back to that. Uh, I believe... Uh, that Gaius is probably, I don't know that we can say this definitively, but it would appear uh, that Demetrius and Gaius are likely members of this church that Diotrephes is pastoring. It looks like John may be writing to a man who's a member of that church uh, and also making reference to Demetrius, another member. I can't say that definitively, but uh, this, this might well be the case. Uh, we'll see a number of references to that church here in this passage. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to come back and look at this. But don't lose sight of the fact that even in a letter that John is writing to an individual, uh, churches are very much in view. Uh, nothing is ever detached from a church in the New Testament. Uh, there uh, at the day of Pentecost, we see the Jerusalem church. Uh, having already been established, but now empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you see all the way through the book of Acts. What's that book about? It's the history of first century church planting. What kind of planting? Church planting. And it's uh, the, the storyline um, revolves around Paul's calling of the Holy Spirit uh, out of a church uh, to plant churches. And even here, even here in a short letter between two men, uh, there is um, very much a church in view here, one that had some problems, uh, and no doubt John, the Lord, through John, intends to uh, address some of those problems, um, even if it's somewhat indirectly. Uh, so uh, we have here um, four men, really, John, Gaius, Diotrephes, and, and Demetrius, and let's just look at these uh, two uh, we'll call them D-men, <laughs> briefly here, uh, Diotrephes uh, and, and Demetrius. Uh, look back in verse 9. Uh, John says, I wrote unto the church. Uh, evidently, that was not an inspired letter. And this is uh, one of the places in the New Testament where you see um, a man that was used by God in some places to send inspired letters, 
making reference to other letters that were not inspired. So you wouldn't look at verse 9 and say, oh my goodness, uh, John is making reference to a, an inspired letter that he wrote to that church, but it's lost. The Lord did not preserve all of his words. No, we would never say that. We would look at verse 9 and say, uh, Paul wrote a letter uh, to that church that simply wasn't inspired, uh, like, like he might have sent a birthday card to his mom, if you will. Not an inspired letter, but uh, writing that was just, you know, everyday writing and, and sent off. So John makes reference here in verse 9 of having written to uh, this man Diotrephes. Uh, you see him here um, in verse 9, uh, who seems to be the pastor of that church. Uh, I think that's likely the case, uh, and I'll say again, who, who does not seem to be acting like a man uh, who is saved. You see here, uh, the, uh, John says to Gaius, Diotrephes, verse 9, uh, is, is a man who loveth to have the preeminence among them. Uh, he's a man that just wanted to prop up himself, to put himself at the center of attention. Uh, to put himself on the throne, uh, this is the language here. Now, listen, I will say this, as a pastor, uh, if you're not careful, you could fall into that. And, and no doubt, Brother Ray, that's part of why the Lord has had uh, John to make reference to diatrophies and, and some of his challenges here. Uh, it's a warning to pastors to stand guard against um, the sort of fleshly desire to be at the center of attention in the church. Now, someone will say, well, you kind of are, right? You're, you're standing before the church behind the pulpit. Uh, you run the meetings, and uh, you're the pastor. You're the one who God has uh, ordained authority, given authority to that office uh, and to the man as the occupant of the office of pastor. Uh, that much is true, but nonetheless, you understand this morning that pastors uh, do not preach to, uh, to be heard or, or seen for themselves, uh, but rather to point the attention of others uh, to the Lord. And certainly that's my heart's desire when I teach or preach. I don't desire the preeminence. I don't, I don't desire that people would look up to the pastor and say, oh, look at him. Look, uh, he's, he's the pastor. Uh, you ought to recognize the authority that God invests in the office, but understand that a mature, godly pastor, his desire is not to draw attention to himself, but to point the attention of others uh, to Christ, to not have the, the preeminence, not to be seen as the number one himself, but to point to others to Christ and say, hey, he should be number one in your life. Uh, he should be your top priority. He should be the thing that you give your, or the one, not the thing, but the one to whom you give your best. Uh, write down a reference. You can write this uh, in your margin of your Bible if you wish. Colossians 1.18 is the only other place in the New Testament where preeminent or preeminence uh, appears. And, and that verse says, and he, the he there is Christ, uh, is the head of the body, comma, the church. Uh, the local church assembly is the body, according to Colossians 1 and verse 18. He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, comma, the firstborn from the dead, that or so that in all things he, Christ, might have the preeminence. I hope this morning that you could say 
that amongst all the priorities, the competing priorities perhaps, that you have in your life, that you could genuinely say the Lord Jesus Christ is my number one priority. He is uh, whom I live for. Yes, I live for my family if I have a family, but even more than that, I live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my number one priority. I live each day for him. Uh, I work so that I can give to his church. Uh, yes, I need to support my family. That's, that's not lost in the equation there. But a major motivation is to work uh, and, and to deploy my income, a portion thereof, my tithe, uh, to support my church, the, the Christ church. Uh, and the missionaries that he chooses and sends out to plant churches as Paul. Uh, and, I, and I live to serve him uh, more than anything else. And Boy, I don't know this morning if that's a convicting thought. Uh, it is even for me because I wonder if, if Christ is enough the number one, if he truly is uh, as much as he should be uh, the number one priority even in my own life. And I would just encourage you this morning, if you would say, Pastor, you know, I'm not sure if I could truly, genuinely, legitimately say that Christ is my number one priority day in and day out. Hey, let's confess that right now. Lord, we confess we've allowed other things uh, to be our priority, to take the preeminence, to become our number one goal. Uh, Lord, we confess that. Help us to put that off uh, and to put on Christ as our number one priority uh, and to really give him the preeminence. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, the Lord has uh, devoted this verse here, verse 9, uh, to this idea and other verses as well. Diatrophes, Diatrophes, verse 9, loveth to have the preeminence. That's one of those buckets of fleshly lusts, isn't it? There's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, pride of life. Uh, he's given himself over to this lust, loving the preeminence rather than loving his Lord and making his Lord number one. He loveth to have the preeminence among them, John writes, and receiveth us not. He was probably concerned that if John came, if the apostle John came, people would look at John and say, boy, he's more important than the pastor. He's an apostle. Uh, Diotrephes probably did not receive John and company because of this uh, prideful, prideful concern. Now John says that he, when, when he comes, uh, John was not deterred by this. He evidently felt the Lord would have him to go there. Uh, he says, if I come, if I come, he's not being presumptuous. Uh, I'll remember his deeds, which he doeth, um, and, and deal with that, and, and deal with that. So uh, we see here Diotrephes, a man who pridefully chose the preeminent, took, stole the preeminence that belonged to Christ uh, for himself. Um, and then you see, then you see this, this uh, second man, uh, second D, uh, Demetrius. Look, look down in verse 12, please. Demetrius, uh, verse 12. Uh, his name means belonging to Demeter. His name means belonging to Demeter. His parents, when he was born, uh, dedicated him to uh, Demeter, who is a pagan goddess of agriculture uh, and rural life. It's surprising that uh, no one had this name where I grew up in uh, upstate rural agricultural uh, western New York. Thankfully, people moved beyond this. Uh, this was a name given to dedicate someone to this uh, pagan goddess. Uh, Demetrius um, appears to be a man who uh, has 
uh, overcome those roots and, and come to Christ. He, he appears to be a man who uh, has thrown off his pagan roots, the pagan history of his family, uh, and, and heard the gospel and repented of sin and come to Christ. He's certainly described by John uh, in a way that would imply that he's saved. And, and certainly, I think Demetrius is one who uh, is in this church. Verse 12 says this, Demetrius hath good report of all men. Uh, that would be one of those qualifications of pastor that we've looked for or looked at back in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, he has a good report of all men, including those that are without, outside of the church. Remember, that was one of the criteria or qualifications. Uh, and of the truth itself. So it's interesting language. You have to stop and think about that for a minute. He has a good report of the truth itself. And I think that implies that he is one who handles the truth of God's words well uh, and according to the truth. He is not one who is attempting to um, sort of redefine truth to advance his own lustful causes or own self-interest as perhaps Diotrephes did. Uh, this is a man who has a good report uh, and a man who is a man of the truth. Remember, we're going to emphasize the truth uh, because there aren't many versions of truth that you can try on and choose from and think, oh, every version is equally good. No, there's the truth, the one and only version of truth that Scripture defines. Uh, Diotrephes, forgive me, Demetrius is a man of the truth the Bible truth, the truth of the words of the one and only God. He says, yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. He had a good reputation for being a man of truth. And so you, you have here two men. John's description of them is really diametrically deposed, uh, uh, dissimilar. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really opposed to each other in their interests and their reputation. Uh, Diotrephes, uh, likely, likely, I'd be surprised if he's not a lost pastor, uh, and then uh, Demetrius, who uh, seems to be anything but that, a man of great truth. Lord, help us to be people of truth. Lord, help us to be people who, um, who desire to give Christ the preeminence that he deserves. Now, by the way, before I go on this morning, I would encourage you, you know, when you look at verses like verse 9, describing this, this man who is not very godly, and then verse 12, this man who is quite godly, you look at that and say, well, Lord, how do I respond to that? What, what, what should I do with these verses? Are there any commands for us in verses 9 and verses 12? No, no, there are not. There are simply two descriptions given uh, of two men who are sort of at the opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum, uh, if you will. They're at opposite poles uh, of that spectrum. You might look at this and say, well, Lord, what can I do with this? Uh, how should I respond to that? Pray about that for a moment. Uh, having done that, I, I pray again, Lord, help me to not be a, di a diatrophies. Help me to uh, not be given over to my lust, but it be given over to my Lord instead, and, and to truly, truly desire that you have the preeminence in my life. You know, I have to pray, Lord, help me not to be uh, number one in my life. Uh, help me to, to make you number one in my life. Y if you're like me, you need the Lord's help. You need his grace 
to do that. I'm just telling you, I need that. No doubt you do too. So you look at that and, and perhaps the Lord would, would, would cause you to pray in, in that regard. You want to come to these verses with a yielded heart saying, Lord, what would you have me to do with verses like this? Then when you get down to a verse 12, here's a very different man, a godly man, Demetrius. Lord, help me to have that good report. Help me to be a godly person uh, who lives according to the truth of your words. Uh, help me to know them and to live according to them and to have a godly reputation. Not because I want to be seen uh, and, and looked at and have people think, oh, isn't he an impressive godly man or isn't, isn't that a godly woman? A good example is a good thing, but you want to take care that you're not seeking that so that people uh, will view you rather than the God who is in you, the Holy Spirit who is in you, and the Savior that made all this possible. You want people to see God at work in your life, not you, not you. Uh, you want to take care to always point others to Christ when they, when they applaud you. Well, that's just a, a couple of thoughts here regarding the men that, that we see here. Um, I have uh, a few other themes uh, that I see that Lord has shown me uh, in my study this week. And I want to just uh, uh, share these with you. There we go. We'll share these with you uh, quickly here this morning. So uh, I have uh, four C's. Uh, I'll give you four C's that, that I see here. Uh, number one, we've already made allusion to this, but God's truth Got to make that into a C. How about his certainty, uh, his correctness, uh, the certainty of his correctness? Pastor, that's, that's two C's. Yeah, but it was a little bit of a stretch. I want you to see here the, the allusions again to truth, uh, God's correctness, God's truth, the certainty of that. Uh, truth or versions of truth show up seven times uh, here in, in just 14 verses. So, you know, we've already said this morning, truth is a theme of this short letter. Uh, we see it in verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love, John writes, in the truth. Uh, he loves this brother uh, because the Lord commands us to demonstrate love to one another uh, and to do that according to the truth of his words. Uh, so there's a reference here to loving in the truth. This is not a, um, a corrupted love. It's not the kind of corrupt love that we see or false love that we see men carrying out toward uh, one another in the world today. It's nothing like that. Uh, it is a honorable, godly, Christ-honoring, tr uh, true uh, love, a love in the truth according to the word of God. Brothers in Christ should be praying, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to demonstrate brotherly love toward one another, uh, to not be short with each other, to not be impatient with each other, uh, to be willing uh, to help one another, even when it's a, a last-minute need and, and it's inconvenient. I had a last-minute need this week for some work to be done uh, outside at the parsonage, and I felt real bad about reaching out to the guys in the church, but I, I really needed to do that. It was a, a problem that was discovered and needed to be addressed right away, and so I put a note out to some of the men, and sure enough, 
month, one of the men came out and gave several hours to address that. That's brotherly love. It wasn't convenient. Uh, I felt almost like it was unloving to ask, but I needed to. Uh, and sure enough, a brother came and said, yeah, I, I, I can do that. We're, we're called to exercise, to walk in, to practice brotherly love toward one another according to God's words. Uh, and so I will. And uh, I, I'll pray, Lord, bless that man. Bless that man. And, and no doubt the Lord will. You see, verse 3, uh, John writes, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth. Uh, that is in thee. So again, a reminder that uh, seeing people walk in the truth is a, it's a cause, uh, it should be a cause, it's a case for rejoicing. You see someone walking in the truth of God's words, let that rejoice uh, your heart. We see truth in verse 4, uh, again, greater joy. Uh, verse 8, uh, you see fellow helpers to the truth. Uh, those re uh, missionaries that, that uh, had already come, or perhaps it's a reference to John, uh, who would be coming uh, in the course of, of traveling to share the gospel. Uh, in any event, uh, people in churches who uh, give a room to or a meal to, who give uh, help to uh, missionaries, uh, who are called fellow helpers to the truth. Uh, to the truth. We have other examples of the use of truth here also. I got a little bit ahead of myself, but the second C is charity. Uh, it's charity, love, love, uh, all forms of the Greek agape, godly love. Uh, godly love that involves putting others before myself. Uh, you understand that when the Father sent his only begotten Son to die in our place, uh, that was putting others before himself. When Christ agreed to yield himself to the Father's plan, coming to die, uh, he was most certainly putting others, us, before himself. That is agape, godly love. And again, we've already seen this in verse 1. Uh, John loves Gaius in the truth. Uh, he refers several times to uh, to. Um, Gaius and, and others perhaps in the church uh, as beloved. He uses this loving language, Brother Ray, in verses 2 and 5 and 11. Uh, he continues to call uh, the man to whom he's writing and, and perhaps uh, more broadly others there in his church as beloved. And you might say that's, that's kind of strange. Maybe it's unexpected for a man uh, to write that to another man. But understand, again, this is a pure, godly Christ-like love. It's a brotherly love that is made possible uh, by the Spirit of God uh, in us, which is made possible by the cross of Christ. Uh, don't forget that. Uh, we men probably don't consistently demonstrate the kind of brotherly love toward one another that the Lord desires. Uh, Paul, not Paul, but John writes in verse 2, beloved. In verse 5, beloved. Uh, in verse 2, he he lovingly encourages him that, that he wishes uh, good things. And I think wish there has the idea probably of prayer. Um, in verses 5 and 11, he addresses him as beloved and encourages and exhorts him. He encourages him in verse 5. And in verse 11, he says, Beloved, there's exhortation to truth here, a, war a loving warning. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Don't walk according to the doctrine of devils. Uh, walk according to the truth of God's words. And, and so the, this is loving exhortation. 
one of the ways that men of God in churches should demonstrate love to each other. It's not just going over and making a repair at the parsonage, but uh, you, you will more commonly have the opportunity to exhort each other lovingly to godly living, to godly choices, to godly behavior. That can be encouragement for having been godly. You're not praising them to pump them up and to get them to view themselves more highly than they should, no, but you want to encourage that and you want to specifically discourage uh, unbiblical behavior. Doing that with love, uh, with grace, uh, in a way that's easy to be entreated. And so you see here uh, various references to charity, uh, to love. Already we've seen in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, uh, demonstrating hospitality toward missionaries who are traveling would be an example of the charity, a very specific application of charity to which God calls uh, his people. So uh, we see that here. Uh, the third C we've made reference to already, and I don't think I'll spend any time on it again, but just get it down in your notes. Church, uh, church, the underlying word, as you know, uh, if you've been in our church for long, the underlying word that, that is translated church has the idea of an assembly, a group of people who are called out from home is what's implied, uh, called out and called together uh, for a purpose. Uh, it was used uh, before the New Testament in a secular sense uh, as a reference to a political assembly, people that would come out from their homes uh, to join together to make decisions or to deal with problems uh, in their town or their city. It had the, the idea of that kind of assembly for that kind of purpose. Holy Spirit said, great, we have a word that we can use to describe a church. It's a group of people who are called out from the world, called together uh, in one united body, a, a local church assembly, uh, for God's purposes, for the purpose of the Great Commission. Uh, and so church, uh, we've seen already, there's several references. Uh, the word church is used once in verse 6, uh, and once in verse 9, and once in verse 11. So uh, the church is not absent. Churches are not absent from this, this epistle. Let me say this also. Uh, fourthly, fourthly and, and we'll look at this quickly and stop, uh, Christian fellowship, Christian fellowship uh, is, is very much in view here, or at least it's alluded to, at least it's alluded to. You have the word uh, brethren uh, uh, referred to, used, I should say used, three times. Uh, in verse 14, you have the word friends uh, used once. So you have four uses of words, at least four words, uh, that imply, at least imply, uh, Christian fellowship, Christian fellowship. Uh, I don't have time to go into it this morning, but it was a year ago, January, I believe, uh, Chris and I did um, uh, at our uh, men's and ladies fellowships, respectively, we taught lesson on, on biblical fellowship and kind of all, all that is alluded to in that word. And of course, the idea of fellowship is very much related to the idea of church. It's it's coming together for a biblical purpose. We saw the idea that fellowship is very purposeful. It's not just coming together for no purpose at all. It's coming together 
as saved people uh, for a biblical purpose. That, that's Christian fellowship. We tend to think of it as you know, just coming together to enjoy a meal or, or to have some fun. Well, it can be that, but ideally uh, there's some real effort and intention to be uh, encouraging one another in that, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and, and maybe other, other biblical purposes as well. Uh, so you see the idea of, of brethren, uh, the word brethren is used several times, verse 3, verse 5, uh, verse 10. The word literally has the idea of brothers, maybe sisters are alluded to in the use of this word in a more general sense, but uh, the idea that when saved people come into a church, uh, they really do become brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we're, we're the family of God. What a, what a joy, what a privilege. We've, uh, we've been adopted by the Lord into his family uh, and called into an assembly where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about this. If you don't have any brothers or sisters biologically, uh, if you're saved, you have brothers and sisters in, in Christ. What, what a joy that is. Of course, we're not always uh, per perfectly behaved toward one another, just like uh, biological brothers and sisters, but it's a joy and it's a privilege to have spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord who we can come together with in our church and fellowship together in the truth uh, and encourage one another as we serve together, carrying out God's purposes. And you see this idea uh, all kind of encapsulated in the word brethren. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 10, uh, and then friends down in verse 14. John closes and will close here as well. I trust I shall see thee uh, as we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Of course, that's peace made possible by Christ on the cross. Uh, our friends, friends, salute thee. Greet the friends, the friends by name. A wonderful godly intimacy uh, alluded to in this language. So there's much here. There's much here in a short book. Let's stop there and pray, please. Father, I thank you this morning uh, for this wonderful letter uh, filled with love and encouragement uh, and truth. Lord, I pray this morning that we would have a heart not to know these, just to know these truths, Yes, a heart to know them and to stand in them, but Lord, a heart to move from standing to walking, to walk in these truths. Lord, we'll need your help. We'll need your grace to do that. And so I pray for that this morning. Father, perhaps we've been convicted this morning that uh, we, not, we have not been giving Christ the preeminence that he deserves. Lord, I pray that we'd be quick to confess that and to ask your grace in that area. Lord, perhaps this morning we uh, were convicted that we've not been um, loving enough toward our fellow church members. We've not been intentional enough about demonstrating love uh, in truth, uh, perhaps helping one, each, one another practically, uh, perhaps exhorting and encouraging one another spiritually. Lord, whatever it is, I, I pray this morning that you would help us to uh, confess a lack of faithfulness in this area. And Lord, ask you for an opportunity even today as we come in for the 11 o'clock hour. 
Lord, I, I, perhaps some of us would pray, Lord, help me to have an opportunity to demonstrate love, to walk in love toward a brother or sister as we assemble together in our church today. Lord, help us. Give us your grace as we yield to you. Father, I love you this morning. I thank you so much for your love, your love. Thank you for your truth, the truth. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for our church. Lord, I love you. I pray that you'll work here throughout the day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.